This is the Podium Finish Live on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3. From Austin, Texas, and various points across the country, here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in into another live edition of the Podium Finish Live here on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3 on St. Bonaventure Radio and on major streaming platforms. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas and covering NASCAR since 2008. I'm so glad you could join us for another edition of the Podium Finish Live, which is an, an action-packed hour of racing talk and music here on SBU Radio, The Buzz, and also on major streaming platforms, kind of like a very casual version of racing conversations with journalists drivers and personalities in the world of racing and NASCAR. It's the second episode and podcast of TPF Live since the off season, but it's our fifth overall show. So it's going by pretty quickly realizing, you know, this show just rebooted last month after a seven year hiatus and we're back. We're just not back doing raising conversations and interviews. We're just back in full business. So I'm super excited to do these shows every week with my co-host and my buddy, Nathan Solomon, who's here as always, um, and also a fellow St. Bonaventure, just like me. So us Bonnies always stick together and Nathan's been pretty busy covering the St. Bonaventure College Hoops action uh, for our men's team, who's off to an amazing start near the top 20 in the rankings. And our women's team is playing just as well. So I'm excited to have Nathan on the show as well. And we've got a really special guest as well. Um, who's going to be here for the entirety of our show. So uh, hang on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be an awesome show. And I'm, I'm just so stoked. I just got to get down to business right now versus just doing all the talking. So first, let's introduce my co-host, Nathan, and of our crew chief and our a youthful extraordinaire journalist on this program. Nathan, thanks for joining me again on the Podium Finish Live. How have you been doing? Doing great as always. Like you said, I've been very busy uh, covering college basketball, St. Bonaventure men's and women's. Uh, Going to be covering my Cornell here in the next few weeks as well. So super busy for me, but always good to be here on TPF Live. Absolutely. And I'm always happy to have you on our show. And uh, most folks don't know that Nathan's also our uh, audio engineer, if you will. So if you've been enjoying the last uh, four shows on Spotify or on our live versions on the radio station, Definitely give him some kudos, if you will, because uh, I couldn't do it without him for sure. So Nathan, I'm always appreciative of you being on here, doing all the hard work um, for sure. Now, folks, we've got a really special guest here on the show. Um, I consider him one of my greatest mentors, my friends and colleagues. Anytime I get to cover races on site, it's always awesome to share the same media center with this gentleman who has been covering racing since 1993 for Reuters. Um, and that gentleman is, of course, Lewis Frank. Lewis, it is such an honor to have you on our show today. How have you been doing? Well, great. I got out to a racetrack this week. I mean, you know, the season, this NASCAR season's over. Formula One is still going on. They got one more race after uh, low sale. But uh, it's great to go to the racetrack. I didn't get to go into the garage due to health. Uh, uh, general, the media wasn't allowed to go into the garage. But uh, I got to watch cars on a track listen to loud noises you know uh i love going to charlotte motor speedway if any of you are ever near uh please come They're, they'll make you feel very welcome absolutely i love the staff over at charlotte motor speedway there's such a great great uh, bunch of people over there i myself was there last month for the roval playoff race weekend and uh they are one of the greatest staffs around and uh yeah i mean this whole past week even though it's the off season, it sure feels so busy with NASCAR. And of course, as you mentioned, with Formula One having their title, um, getting closer to a decision here between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. And uh, as of this radio show airing, of course, they had qualifying for the Qatar Grand Prix or Qatar Grand Prix with Lewis Hamilton winning the pole. Um, we won't make predictions on F1. We, we may, you know, we'll see about the, how the show goes. But uh, let's actually talk about how this show goes. Uh, before we get into the main parts of this program. So, of course, for first-time listeners or those who just need to get a reminder of how the show works. So each week, 
we have different segments, which starts off with Podium Perspectives, which is our segment that talks about the most recent happenings in NASCAR. And believe me, folks, there's plenty to talk about in the world of NASCAR. So we're going to get to that here in a few moments. And of course, we typically have a segment called In the Hot Seat, which typically features a NASCAR driver or IndyCar driver or personality. But this week is going to be a little different. Um, as you, if you paid attention to the first show where we talked about writer's block, that will be our version of the In the Hot Seat this week. So I can't wait to get to that part of our show for sure. And then we're also going to have some of our favorite songs playing on here if you're listening to the radio station version. But there's going to be a lot to get to. And there's just a lot of different topics that Lewis, Nathan, and I are going to get to here very shortly. All right. Well, folks, now that you've heard how this podcast works, let's get into it. It's segment one. It's Podium Perspectives. Let's head to our first segment, of course, the Podium Perspectives, as we're going to talk about the next-gen car testing that took place at Charlotte Motor Speedway, as well as that new race weekend format that will be kicking off next year. Now, on this past Wednesday and Thursday, or November 17th and 18th, NASCAR held their latest organizational next-gen car test at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Now, beyond the new looks for the cup cars and, of course, those louder sounds, one of the main things that fans seem to obsess over a bit was the driver's average speeds, or, in their minds, the somewhat slower average speeds. Lewis, you mentioned earlier at the top of the show that you were at the tests and you got to cover what happened. So I wanted to get your thoughts first about the next-gen car test session at Charlotte, and of course we'll hear from Nathan, but Lewis, what was your overall take about the next-gen car test? Well, I mean, still a work in progress, and the really my key takeaway was until you get 25, 30 cars in a pack, you're really not gonna know everything you need to know. But yes, they're louder. Um, one, issue, uh, one issue that was brought up uh, was they may even be producing less horsepower than, than, the, than the, the latter series, and that may upset fans. They're, hey, I think it's a great um, movement forward. But there's a lot of people, they're upset about the number placement. They're upset about the single lug nut. There's lots. Why not just let it happen? And, and at the end of the day, you cannot eyeball the difference in, in speeds. There's no way. You know, again, you know, we, off air, we talked about remembering the old days. Well, they capped Talladega at 200 miles an hour after Bobby Allison flew there. People cannot tell the difference. It's just a number. People have been complaining about aero push. I want to see great racing. I want to see pass it. That's what's important. If it's a little slower, and, and you can go hate me, you know, if you're listening, but I want to see great racing. And that's the important thing. Safe first, then great racing. So don't obsess over speeds, folks. This is this was their you know, this was a major test, but there's still, they, there's only four or five cars out six at a time. So don't obsess. <laughs> that's my, that's my point of view. I have a million points of view, but that's my point of view. <laughs> I always love hearing your point of view for sure. And uh, definitely have some thoughts on that as I'll chime in a little bit later. But Nathan, what do you think about that for sure? Yeah, just that. I think it's too early to, to obsess over speeds. I mean, it's, you know, it's only November here. We're not going to see this new car debut in an actual race until, until February. We have a bunch more tests to, to come up and, and to work on things. You know, I know that they, they shaved off an inch off the spoilers on Thursdays to try to uh, produce a little bit more horsepower. But to Lewis's point, I don't think it always necessarily matters on how, on how fast the cars go, as long as there's great racing, that's the most important thing. So uh, they'll continue to test things. I think that maybe that NASCAR wants to speed them up a little bit, but even if they're, they're slower than the Gen 6 cars, I think that's okay as long as the cars are very difficult to drive because that's kind of been one of the main complaints that they're not, as, they're not tough enough to drive. So as long as they're hard to drive, there's great racing. If guys aren't always you know, wide open going into the corners, uh, then this car could still be a, a very good car, a very entertaining car, even if the speeds are a little bit slower. You know, this have, kind of makes me go ahead, Luis. I have one little technical thing. I'm the least technical person ever, but uh, 
uh, one thing is the early cars had a problem overheating inside the cockpit for the driver. So they've put in some new NACA ducts, which have increased drag. So uh, that's one thing they'll take care of. So if anybody out there listening, it's the, the ducts to cool the, the, uh, the, the cockpit have slowed the cars a little bit, but again, they'll work that out. So there's my technical contribution for this afternoon. <laughs> well, that's always good to get a little bit of perspective that we couldn't see um, just from watching on the live streams or if you're covering it remotely. Um, that's why we appreciate the fact you're sharing your insights for today's radio show for, uh, for sure. That kind of brings me to the next point really before we get to topic two, just kind of put an aside on what's been going on. We all have different perspectives on what constitutes great, great racing. Now, for the younger audiences, it seems like like we talked about the question one. They want to see great. They want to see fast speeds. They don't like seeing that these cars are like somewhat like slot cars or you know being able to go wide open in corners because they're going a little bit slower. Personally, I mean, when I grew up in the '90s watching NASCAR, I think that at Charlotte Motor Speedway, the lap times used to be between 31 to 33 seconds in race trim, but the races were, races were pretty good. You're not going to go 200 miles an hour qualifying speed back then, but, um, you know, Lewis and then Nathan, I'll want to hear from your, uh, you guys. What do you think constitutes good racing in stock car racing, at least on the oval tracks? Me? Well, again, I want to see ability to pass. I don't want to see somebody stall out when they go to make a, a make a pass. And, you know, this dreaded arrow push of the older car and they worked on it. But I'll tell you something. I want to see flying bricks. OK, what Tony Stewart complained about years ago, take away the arrow, put mechanical grip and put it in the driver's hands. Then you see driver versus driver. And it, it, it won't be who's got the latest thing that that passes through the Hawkeye inspection system. Uh, but to me, great racing is seeing drivers going mano a mano or woman a mano a woman a mano. Uh, I want to see passing. I don't want to see, you know, an old, here's another cliche, you know, running's not racing. That's what the essence of racing is passing. I want to see passing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it with, with this last car, the gen six car, you know, the 550 horsepower package is obviously the, I guess the weakness of this past car, you know, it's, very hard to pass they're not you know i guess guys were were not really struggling to drive it they're just i i guess if you're going to compare it to maybe some of the older generations of cars or maybe the xfinity cars even they're just not as difficult to drive so just something that that's very hard to drive a lot of passing just something that creates a lot of excitement and not just you know some of these uh similar to some of the races that we've had now just cars that you know, we have great restarts, but then cars are spaced out big time. And then it's just, you know, again, very hard to pass and, and just not, not great racing. So uh, overall, it's just more difficult to drive and uh, more passing. I agree with both of you in terms of what constitutes great racing in stock cars um, is to see more of that dirty air situation being addressed. We want to see side-by-side -side racing. We want to be able to see races that we can remember, not necessarily because they're doing paint trading on the track or we're getting those clickbait situations that um, the networks and some outlets kind of tend to cover. I just want to see good racing on the track that we can talk about in 10 years. So um, I'm, I think NASCAR has got something good going on with the next gen car. And I think as you know, the future tests come out um, next month and in January ahead of the Bush like Clash at uh, the LA Coliseum, and of course in Daytona, I think we're going to see some great stuff happening here soon. So definitely going to be interesting to say the least that we'll be documenting here on TPF Live. Now we're going to head to our next topic, which kind of makes me think of my, uh, my buddies in the pit crew scene, but we got to see one of the first pit stops with the new One Luck Nut style wheels, um, which a lot of the crew members that I read on social media there's different reactions. Some say it's going to be a lot faster, and some just say it's, it's pretty much a minutiae type of situation. Nathan, we'll start with you, and then we'll hear from Lewis. How interesting will pit stops be knowing that we're going to have these one lug nut wheels? Um, and do you think it's going to be much of a game changer? Um, I, I don't know. 
I mean, I think it, the, the stops are going to be about a second quicker, I think. I think I thought I read somewhere that it was about around a third or fourth of a second quicker on each side to change them because, you know, you're not, you're not hitting all five lug nuts, you're just hitting essentially one, one lug nut on each tire. And I guess they're kind of similar to IMSA pit stops in the sense that they're using that same same tool and the same variation of that tool to, to get to get the to get the lug nut off and they sound like instant pit stops right just that that noise i think it's a great noise but i am gonna miss the, the old five lug nut pit stops i think that that's a i, I i've always loved those because i it, it just it's more of a test for the skill and the athleticism of those pit crew members and that's not to say that that you know that that the other pit crew members aren't you know as athletic or as skilled but I think that's just one of the things that makes our sport so unique, just, you know, having to go and hit, you know, five lug nuts uh, four times in a pit stop, essentially, and, and, and execute flawlessly each time. So I'm going to miss that a lot, but I think it's something that, that I'll be able to get used to. Uh, it, I think it's a game changer to help maybe some of the, some underfunded teams. And that's something that I, I guess will, that the, this car as a whole will help, you know, just to, to save with costs and everything. So I think it's something that we'll be able to get used to, but uh, I, I wish we'd still suck with the five lug nuts. So, um, well, I follow Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, IMSA, been to Le Mans. Um, it, it, I just think, you know, it's part of an evolution. To your point, Nathan, I will miss the skill but I won't miss the lug nut reports on, on Sunday night, Monday morning and the penalties. It, it, it's safer. Again, the first thing to consider in racing is safety than the racing. Having to get that one lug nut on, that's the important thing to me. Uh, and again, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a beach I'm gonna die on that we don't have all the other lug nuts. I feel sorry for the fans who won't get their lug nuts at the racetrack because they're not going to be giving these away. I feel a little sorry for JGR who spent so much money on their guns to make faster pit stops a couple of years ago. Okay, all right, inside poker for uh, some of you who know that and Rob knows. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's safer. It will likely be faster. And, uh, and again, if you don't like, you can just at me on Twitter all you want, I'm ready. Just as long as you're civil. You can argue with me all you want. Just be civil. I love a good debate. Absolutely. I know that for sure from firsthand experience, but you always learn something from Lewis when he gets into a discourse with you. So, um, no, I, I, I think you both are hitting it right on the head with this. Um, but one thing I'm going to be curious about is once they figure out these, um, the new one like that style wheels, is if the refueling process will change. And now I don't think it's going to for next year, but if NASCAR deems that part of the pit stops to be something they have to change, that's gonna make strategy quite interesting to say the least. So I'm kind of curious down the road when we get to those tracks that are not as tire sensitive, uh, you know, that's been newly repaved like a Texas Motor Speedway um, or a Michigan, might we see, you know, these two tire pit stops become kind of the, the new norm, if you will. So that's something I'm going to be watching when we get to next season. And certainly we can also circle back when we do our show here in a year's point. Now, we're going to get also to the next biggest news that hit NASCAR world, which actually hit um, yesterday on Friday, which kind of stunned me just because a lot of us in, this, in the sport kind of felt that practice and qualifying would come back. But the way that this is going to be structured is quite unique. Um, to, to talk about how it's going to be different is going to be an entire show. And I don't want to bore fans talking about those changes specifically. But uh, I know that Nathan and Lewis have had time to review those changes that NASCAR communicated to us uh, about the weekend formats with practice and qualifying at almost every race except with the bigger tracks like Daytona and Talladega, where it's just qualifying in the race. So, Lewis, I want to hear your thoughts first. And then, Nathan, Lewis, you, you've covered the sport for a while. Yes. And you've seen a lot of the different formats. So I'm kind of curious. How do you suppose a new weekend format is going to shake out for NASCAR? Is it going to be the best of both worlds for both those in the industry, the fans, and those network folks that want to get those good ratings? Well, I, I like not... 
I, I can argue, you know, I, I was a lawyer for, in court, as a litigator for 25 years. I can argue any side of, of, of an argument on this. I, I happen to like knockout. Part of me prefers knockout qualifying to everybody on the track. Uh, was it NASCAR Casimir, though, who, uh, when they had the other system, he put it like everybody at pit road exit waiting to go out at the end because obviously at the end, I, I don't want to see that type of gaming. But here, let me just give you, a, again, an overall view. Whatever the rules are, all of the, you know, the Chad Canouses, oh, and now he's up higher, but these crew chiefs, they're going to game it. They're going to figure it out. But what I like to say is I like to see action on the track. Single car qualifying to me, though, it's a snooze. I've, been, I've covered far too many decades of single car qualifying, you know, especially you know, okay, Daytona, Talladega, it's a big news story and all that. But now I, I like knockout qualifying. Um, it, it works, it works in IndyCar Formula One too. So I, I'm all for, I'm all for knockout rounds. So that, that's my quick take on, on qualifying in general. Yeah, I mean, I like the qualifying a lot. I think that'll make for some, uh, some very interesting storylines on the track outside of the race itself. Uh, on the practice side of things, I, I'm not sure. You know, I think it's going to be they're going to divide the divide everybody up into two groups for a 15 or 20 minute practice session, depending on the track. Uh, I, I have mixed feelings on that. I'd almost rather we just have one 30 or one 40 minute practice session instead of the two 15 or 20 minute sessions. I think that it's beneficial for owners in the sense that maybe that it's less likely for, for a car to crash and, and maybe you can save some costs there. But I think it's more beneficial that, that the drivers get more on-track time. So uh, I'd be completely on board with it if, if it was just a, like a 1, 30, or 40-minute practice session and then the knockout qualifying. But I, I can definitely live with it, with what we're going to have next year. And I think it'll make for an interesting two-hour uh, practice qualifying session on TV. Yeah, for me, I'm kind of in the middle for both of you guys in this one. I liked having their full race weekend formats. But also I have some friends in the industry who love the show up in race weekend formats because it allowed them to have more time with their family or friends or most importantly to themselves. Because when you're doing a 36 to 38 race weekend season, it's really a grueling grind, not just physically, but mentally. And I know that in recent times, we've been kind of talking about the mental health of these drivers and these crew members. Um, and I've kind of made it a point to ask about that because I want to make it a more normal conversation um, in society, in sports. To me, I'm kind of glad we don't have to have these ridiculous three-day weekends just because on journalists, it's tough. Because when you're sitting there trying to figure out a, an interesting story besides how the car is running, there's only so much that you can do at the track. Having it more jam-packed will be the best of both worlds for us covering the sport to get what we need but also for the folks that we are working with, knowing that they don't have to spend too much downtime at the track and then wondering what's going to happen next. I do kind of wish they had a better version of the practice session, but I think there's one word or two words we can all agree that we're not going to hear a lot of next year. Competition cautions. I'm done hearing about those because that was our, I don't drink personally, folks, and I don't abide. I mean, I'm not going to lecture people on drinking, but that was my drinking word. When I heard competition caution, <laughs> I grabbed my bottle of water and I drank a whole bottle. So I'm so glad we don't have to hear that next year. I just want to see good racing. And that's ultimately what I care about. I know we have feelings about the number placement, which again, if we did that on this show, that would be a whole hour. And I don't think we want to talk about that. We've had arguments internally on the podium finish about that. And I'm sure we're going to next year, but uh Hey, listen, we got through it with the, with the next uh, this Gen 6 car when they had the car. Well, I'll show you a little diecast. No one's going to see this visually on the show, unfortunately. One of the things I didn't like before was when they had the sponsors on the roof. I was like, oh, that's a deal breaker for me. But guess what? I got over it. So if a number change is going to kind of get us all riled up, that's fine. But if the racing's going to be good, the storyline's going to be great, and we have good action on the track. That's all I care about. And I think Nathan and Lewis, we can all speak on that for sure. And I, I would love to continue that conversation, but we have an awesome segment we're going to get to here very, very shortly. That's going to basically be the second half of our show. So 
All right, folks. Well, I hope you enjoyed that latest round of podium perspectives. I know that I did. And if you really loved it that much, I hope you subscribe to the Podium Finish Live on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any major streaming platforms. Because right now, we're going to get into the next segment, which is going to be Writer's Block with Lewis Frank. Lewis, thanks again for joining us on today's show. We're heading to the first edition of Writer's Block, kind of like the NASCAR podcast version of Five Good Minutes from ESPN's Pardon the Interruption. So we're going to get to hearing his thoughts about the motorsports journalist industry, as well as some of his experiences here. But first, I do want to say a little shout out to my friends, AJ and Tara Almendinger. I know Tara has been running for Mrs. America this year. Um, and as of this radio show, she is going to be competing tonight in Las Vegas. So I just saw that she got to see her, uh, her husband, AJ. So super cool that he's there to support uh, his wife on in that event. And we wish her the very best. Hopefully we'll have some good news to share next week, but I uh, just wanted to say a little shout out to them. Um, and if they're going to be listening in on Monday. Now, we're going to get to Riders Block with Lewis, and we're going to get his thoughts about the world of racing and, of course, the changing landscape of journalism. Because, of course, one of the major things about St. Bonaventure that we're really prideful about is the Gendoli School of Communications. The late Dr. Russell J. Gendoli was one of the greatest journalism teachers around and professors on our campus. And one of the things I wanted to do to kind of say thanks to him and my past teachers and educators is just to get different perspectives about the writing industry that could help not just me or Nathan out, but anybody who wants to be a journalist. So Lewis is a stockpile worth of knowledge in journalism. And I, like I said earlier, I love hearing from him. I think it's, the, it's better than getting education at times just because it's unsolicited. He's very truthful but he's also a very caring member of the journalism community. So Lewis, as I mentioned earlier, you've been covering motorsports for Reuters since 1993, but um, I think, I know that your story, of course, and how you got into motorsports journalism, but I think it's really unique when fans hear about that. So, you know, kind of talk about your start in this industry and what piqued your interest with motorsports journalism? Well, um, you got you got uh, 30 hours, uh, but... <laughs> I grew up. I grew up on Long Island, and again, we talked about the car culture. I was fascinated with cars, and uh, there was a track at the eastern end uh, called Bridgehampton, which, by the way, in the fifties, a Jaguar won a NASCAR race in Bridgehampton. But I went for the sports car races there, and uh, I snuck into the pits, and so uh, you know that's kind of how I started uh, uh, there, and I, I was fascinated. I saw a black and white show of sports car racing in Nassau in the Bahamas Speed Weeks, and I was in love with red Ferraris. I mean, that was insane. And go to Bridgehampton, and they had these, and Mario Andretti was there. And, and eventually I got to speak to him, and, and that set the hook. I love the cars, but I love the people more. So, uh, how, how to get credential? Well, uh, one of my hobbies back then was photography. And, and I've, had picture, I've had photographs in major magazines too. I, I, I dropped it a, a while ago. My career though goes back 50 years. So <laughs> Reuters only since 93 when Nigel Manson came over. But I started by taking pictures and I like talking and I like talking to the racing community. And, and you know, that's the shortest version, but uh, what, what I say is I, I met people, I asked questions, be yourself and uh, be a person first. If, if you're a fan of a driver, find out what else they like. You know, we we're talking earlier about you want stories about people, find out something they like outside of racing because they're asked the same questions millions of times. Find something you have in common and then ask about that soon you'll be surprised most of the drivers are very happy to talk about something else than racing and that's how you'll get involved in racing but my passion was racing i wanted to do anything like i said i practiced law for 25 years i could have made a lot more money but but uh, uh i got to go travel around the world thanks to racing and i've met wonderful people and I, I, you say some very kind words but uh, to me but without i had mentors too. Judy Stropis, who 
timing, did timing and scoring for Roger Penske, one of the first women to work in the pits at Indy as a timer and scorer. I still, she's a dear friend without her. Who knows what would have happened? Uh, the early people who paid me for my work. Uh, so ask questions, be persistent, and, and but be yourself. And just if you encounter a racing person, just, just you know, talk to them as people. You'll be surprised. Remind me someday to tell you about Lula Rosa, who used to build engines for Richard Childress. Absolutely. I think I would definitely do that um, one of these days, um, definitely in person and for the show for, uh, uh, in the future. And I think that's really great advice because that's the things I tell my writers on the podium finish and my photographers too, whether they're young or a little bit older, is to remember that the people that we work with in racing are just like us. They're human beings who, in the words of Ken Squire, are doing uncommon deeds. And when he said that, I know he was talking about the soldiers and the veterans who served our country. And thank you to the women and men who do serve us and have served us, of course. But that's really what you have to think about with all of these people in these amazing fields is that they're people. And if you can do that and you can find that common ground, like you said earlier, that's you know certainly a, a good starting point to say the least. And I do want to say, I've said it to you before in person, but I do want the show to the people who listen to the show to know that you are one of my greatest mentors as well, right up there with um, late Steve Burns, who um, you two are definitely the two folks I definitely want to make proud of me. And of course, um, Daniel Trotta as well. The three of you have always been taking the time to always make it a point to share whatever advice you have for me to succeed in this business and reminding me to be myself, even though there's a lot of different ways to get into the sport. I think that's one of the best advices I've gotten from you and certainly from Steve before he had passed away in 2015. And of course, when I've spoken with Daniel uh, Trotta, she's also said the same thing. But personally, I want to say thank you for that because um, I wouldn't imagine being in my 14th season covering NASCAR heading into next year. So um, definitely very appreciative of that. Now to get back to you, of course, and I think it's really cool how your journey has gone that far back because you got to see a lot of the legends of racing. You've gotten to meet Mario Andretti and all of these remarkable individuals who are not the drivers, but those in the teams who definitely help you feel connected and be immersed in the world of racing. You know, whether it be IndyCar or NASCAR or IMSA, Formula One, who are, you mentioned about the, your, your connection with Team Penske, but who are some of the other folks in the sport who made you feel at home? There's so many to list, but I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, when, um, uh, uh, oh my God, now I got, I got a senior moment. I wanted to talk to you about Booty Barker, who's going to be Bubba Wallace's crew chief. Steve Hallam used to work for McLaren in Formula One. Uh, he was the number two or number three guy at McLaren, and he came to work for Michael Waltrip Racing. And I, I started when he came over, same deal. I, I wouldn't ask him like, how's the transition? We would talk about trips he did in Europe and stuff like that. And uh, one day uh, I'm out to dinner and Booty Barker shows up and I learned about tobacco auctions from Booty Barker. I mean, th these how, are how you make connections. Um, and and it, it's just one, it, 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 there's so many people, oh golly, uh, Dan, when, when I say Penske, Roger Penske had a, a vice president named Dan Luganville. He held five jobs and it took him five years to retire from Penske. Uh, but he, he could, he could, I could always go to Dan. He would give me some insight, no secrets. No, nobody ever tells you, but speaking about, uh, oh golly, I'm having another senior moment now. Roger's uh, former partner, Don, Oh, golly, why can't I think of his name? Here's another trick I learned, though. When, when in the old days, when there was plenty of time for practice, you'd find people in folding chairs at the garages. If I needed to know what was happening at Ford, I'd go over to Chevy team and say, how's Ford cheating? And they would tell me. I, I couldn't ask a Chevy driver, how's Chevy cheating? So, so Don, oh, golly, uh, he, he could... Coil binding. I still don't quite understand. Coil binding was a thing in the 90s, Nathan. I still don't have a clue, but I know what a coil is. And he would patiently tell me. 
And then there's another Don, Don Hayward, who worked, who was a Ford engineer in IndyCar. And, and when they started to develop the black boxes for the impact uh, 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 sensors, I could go to him because engineers don't speak English. Don could explain things to me in English. Uh, but that's, that's how it happened. Uh, golly, another time, uh, oh, there, there's just so many, I, I just, uh, I have 99% of just good experiences in racing. Ah, well, here's a Ryan Newman story, and he came up through Penske. A lot of people have trouble interviewing him. And again, I knew him in the days he was winning seven, eight, nine races and that. And he can be a tough cookie. But I learned out you had to be tough with him. It's like with Chip. I, I call Chip an acquaintance, a Ganassi, but Chip's dad, Floyd, absolutely. And that's Chip's real name, by the way, Floyd. Floyd, I don't know how I became friends with Floyd Ganassi, but it, it was like the best thing because he gave me a lot of insight into his son. I'll, I'll never forget Floyd. But I can tell you about Roger himself, a story from uh, the media tour. 180 people would be piled onto buses, in their personal cars, we'd go up to Mooresville. He would greet everybody getting off the buses. If he knew your name, he would say, hello. If he didn't know your name, he'd say, hello, I'm Roger Penske. Wow. Hmm. He, he's, really cool. a, he's amazing. Um, there's so many people. Uh, God, Paul Newman was a very normal person if you talked about racing to him. I won't call him a friend, but but, he knew me, you know, nodding acquaintance. So we could always chat about racing. But again, cause you couldn't ask him about acting. He hated people who came up to him and asked. That's why I lived in Connecticut, not Beverly Hills. You see that you talk to someone about what they love to do, not what they do. And that, that's how I became friends, you know, acquaintances. I do have friends. Um, there's a, when I moved to, to Charlotte, uh, it was a big culture shock from Manhattan. And, there's quite a few people who leave name, but invited me to their house. You know, people I'd only met at the track. And, and I mean, on and on. Oh, one other charming thing, probably won't get a big demographic, but, but I, I, I had a family who was Fiat dealers once upon a time. So I'm known as Luigi. And, and uh, uh, when Teo Fabi, uh, 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 the Italian racer obviously, came to race indie cars and I was working for an Italian magazine. So all of a sudden the other Italian, the people coming to America, they said, we know you, we know you. So the people at Delara are very nice to me. Delara is one of the components of the new NASCAR car. They make the chassis for indie cars. So uh, I'm also a big coffee drinker. And one good thing that happens in 2022 is I'm gonna get a real cup of Italian coffee now at the, at the, at the Delara hauler which I missed, I, can't, I couldn't get good coffee in NASCAR, except when Max Pappas, I consider Max a friend. He's up in Mooresville, uh, buy MPI stuff. Here's an unsolicited testimonial. He does steering wheels, he's doing racing seats now. He's a pain in my butt, but a wonderful guy. And uh, so Booty Barker was his crew chief, okay? Uh, and uh, in, in the, uh, here I am again, the, kid, the, the team. And I would go to his hauler first thing in the morning and he had a little coffee maker and uh, they, they, uh, I would have a shot of espresso and they gave me a nickname, the coffee crackhead. So I knew they liked me. If you get invited into a cup hauler, so I, I, I bought, I bought a, a box of donuts uh, at Dunkin' Donuts for, near Auto Club Speedway and I wrote on it, uh, you know, to the Germain team, to the Germain team from the coffee crackhead. And uh, Booty looked at me and said, you didn't have to do that, but I think he was telling me, "Good old boy." It's a little brag, but this this is you you. I know everyone is passionate listening to the show, but if you're in the garage, respect them too. If someone appears to be busy, you got to give them some space. Okay, if they don't appear busy, don't be afraid to say hello, but also respect that that's their office. And and again, you you don't go into a NASCAR hauler. I mean, you got to get invited, okay? So, so you 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 must respect them. But I mean, th this is th this is how you get to do stuff. But there's some people I know. <laughs> That's really great, great advice, and also great stories as well about those remarkable individuals you kind of walked us through. Because um, 
in a way, I, I visualized everything you talked about and I can already smell the espresso you'll get from the Delara hauler next year, even though I don't drink coffee, but I love the smell of coffee. So maybe I'll join you for that next year when I get to be at the races. But that's really true. I mean, I know we talked about the car culture. I talked about earlier in the show how much I love the cars, but I think when it comes down to it, building relationships in this sport means as much as writing a really great article or editing content that will be engaging audiences. If you can connect with those individuals in the garage area, you can build acquaintanceships. You can build friendships. Um, and you know, Lewis, you've been blessed to have that those connections. And even though I'm not as well established as you are, you know, I I feel like I've been able to establish some of those relationships as well. Um, where you know, I don't go a day without texting one of my friends who's a tire changer on the in NASCAR. Her name's Brianna O'Leary, and uh, I consider her one of my best friends. And the best thing is we don't talk about racing all the time. It's just about life. And that, I think that's what makes me come back every year is knowing that we're individuals. We're not just writing about stories or she's changing lug nuts or whatnot. She's a great human being. And um, that's why I love covering NASCAR is I've got a lot of friends I built like you as well, Lewis and Nathan. Um, I wouldn't, I, I, I stand corrected when I say you journalists are my friends as well. So definitely very blessed to continue this journey. Uh, to say the least. I got and I know two, Nathan's two very quick points to you. So say hello first. Okay, this is this is journalism. Say hello first. Don't shove a microphone or don't hold a camera up first. Say hello, how are you doing? But on a serious note, for journalism students, there is a problem with being a beat reporter. Because if you're a beat reporter, sometimes you may have a controversial story and you may have to burn a source. Just remember that though, that's a consequence of your being. I mean, I always ask for a comment. If I have a hot story, I, I go back, you know, but if you're a serious journalist, that's part of being a journalist is you, you may have to lose a source. So like I, I use that word acquaintance more than friendship. Friendship to me is away from the track, not business, but some days you have to make a decision or if you have a hot story coming out, you may never have that person again as a source, but it's something to consider if you're a beat reporter. Absolutely. And that's certainly true in this motorsports industry, just because so much happens and it's not just during that 38 race weekend schedule, it's even right now. So you have to really get on your best game for sure. Now, Nathan, I know you have a couple of questions you had planned for Lewis, so I'll let you take the floor. Yeah, absolutely, Lewis. You know, like you said, you know, you've been around for, for a very long time covering all forms of motorsports, you know, very well-traveled, uh, I'll put it. So I guess what are some of your favorite races or events in motorsports that you've covered or some of your favorite stories that, you, that you've done over your years? Well, I'll tell you my favorite story. Uh, I, was, I was doing some columns for Auto Week and you know, just like you have to, you have to produce this podcast every week. I was a weekly columnist, and um, it was only eight years ago uh, when Daytona started being a little more quiet, uh, uh, quiet days at the track. But I was down in Daytona, and I had to do a story. Well, one of my favorite comedians, uh, and now again, I'm having a senior moment. I can picture his face, uh, uh, and he he does a routine about driving in a parkway and parking in a driveway. So I did a whole column on, on NASCAR jargon. And, and I said, uh, you know, what happens, you know, when someone loses an engine? Is there a reward? You know, does it go away? Is there a reward for finding it? And I made a friend overseas laugh out loud on a bus reading all this NASCAR jargon. So that really is one of my favorite, literally one of the stories I wrote. George Carlin, George Carlin, that was the guy who took things literally, a very funny comedian. And writing funny is very hard. There's some people that I put on a, a higher level because they're consistently funny. But there's so many, there's so many stories. I tell you, as, as a fan, I'm a still a fan of racing to go to the story tracks, to go to a Daytona, to go to Le Mans. I was at Monza the year Enzo Ferrari died. Uh, and, and, and the crowd there. And I told you that my passion for car racing started with watching a Ferrari at Speed Weeks. To be in Italy, oh my Lord. Uh, I still have Brooklyn's. Brooklyn's is a high bank track that no longer exists in the UK. 
and the banking is crazy, but there's a higher bank track called Abus outside of Berlin. And it makes Monza look like a flat track. I have that's next, but there's not much left. So many, they're just, it, it's hard to say. The, the, the key thing for me is when people started to talk to me like, like a person, you know, not just a journalist. That really, that resonates with me. But if I can brag, I'll, I'll tell you a Bill French Jr. story. That, that I got in Bill's good graces was amazing. Um, that uh, before NASCAR had their, they, they, before they had an office here in, in, in Charlotte and the NASCAR Hall of Fame, they would do all their press conferences in New York. So uh, this Mike Harris from AP, whose office was at Rockefeller Center, said, want to come to this press conference at Tavern on the Green. As a photographer, I'm dressed like a polo shirt, baseball cap, very informal. But I came right from, from court, and I had my pinstripe suit, my briefcase. And Bill Jr. says to Mike Harris, who's that guy over there? I recognize him. And uh, Mike says, that, that's my buddy, Lewis Frank. Uh, and he says, what does he do? He's, and, and Mike says, he's a lawyer. What's he doing here? He says, well, he also takes pictures at the races. Oh, what kind of lawyer is he? What side is he on? And when he told him I did defend in negligence, he came over to tell me a story how ISC, the parent of, of, uh, the, of the uh, company who owns Daytona, had just done a very important deal that saved the money on insurance premiums. That's how I got to know Bill France Jr. by talking about insurance premiums. Go figure. I was on the right side of the law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you kind of alluded to it in here just this last minute and a little bit earlier on that, of course, I think, you know, some of the best journalists say they think outside of the box and, and have, you know, they ask questions and tell some of the stories, you know, off the, off the racetrack, in the garage, even outside of the, you know, of NASCAR or motorsports as a whole. So I guess, how do you think of those stories and how do you find those, those stories that'll, that'll stand out, that, that'll maybe catch the eye of some more casual readers? Well, again, I mean, I guess I, I'm still a fan, as I said, just read everything you can, you know, again, listen to the press conferences. This Lou LaRosa used to build engines at RCR when Dale Sr. was there. And they used to have the NASCAR banquet at the Waldorf in New York. And I'm reading up and turns out he was from Brooklyn. Well, my family was from Brooklyn. I mean, when I first started showing up to NASCAR, I had that long hair that you saw in that picture, that old, I mean, I looked like, like crazy. So I said to someone at Chevy who I met, would you introduce me to Lula Rosa? And I said, well, my family's from Brooklyn, where is yours? We started talking. And, and the next year during the media tour, he took me into the engine shop. 180 people went right to look at some of the car bodies. And Lou LaRosa was telling me about these pistons. I had no idea what he's talking about, but I listened. But I mean, I, I found out he was from Brooklyn. Uh, it's like Cole Pern is a Canadian. I mean, if you're, if you have any, can, you know, he's not, well, I hear he's coming back. But I mean, you just, you just pick up these little nuggets. Uh, uh, again, like with Ryan Newman, uh, uh, you know, he did, he did open wheel sprint cars and that. I learned a little more about his personality and I was more into the sport, but he also raises cattle. I mean, just pick up on things a little bit outside of the usual. And, 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 and again, it, it, you know, I, I don't want to repeat again, but being yourself, have a, a real conversation. Not, you're not going to get along with every driver. I'm still working on Kyle Busch still working on them. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever work. Uh, but, but uh, uh, you know, you'll find people you get along with. Some people you may never get along with. That's okay. But, uh, you know, and respect people. Uh, it, it's, I, I know these are like general platitudes, but start with that. Do your homework. And that's how you will make these things. And as Rob said, it's the relationships. And what happens is, I mentioned earlier, uh, Judy Stropus. Judy Stropus gave me the names of 10 people to contact in racing. I wrote to them back in the day. Okay. I didn't get 10 replies. I got one or two, but I, what they used to call networking. Okay. I did that. Ask questions on Twitter. 
okay, or Reddit. I'm sorry, I'm old school, I'm on Twitter. Uh, hopefully you'll have my name spelled right, Rob, so I get some more followers, I'm going down. Uh, seriously, ask, ask a, a good question. And all of a sudden, you may find yourself, now it may be just virtually uh, talking to a driver, crew chief, but you never know. And then if you're at a race, say, hey, thank you for answering my question about such and such. And that's a way to connect. Most of the drivers have a social media presence. Be polite. Like I said, I like a spirited debate, but ask questions. There was one crew guy who, who said, uh, I just got back from the test, ask me questions. And I said, so how fast uh, you know, are the pit stops? He said, we'll be under 10 seconds real soon. Just ask a civilized question. And, and so there's a way, cost you nothing. We gotta have an internet connection and a telephone uh, or something, a plan. But that's a way for your listeners, you can start a connection now it doesn't work every time immediately, but you'd be surprised. That's a very easy way to make a connection. 110% agree with you, Lewis. And that's what made me feel connected with the world of racing back in 2008. I remember you were running the ESPN segment of NASCAR coverage. In fact, you were the chat host, and I think I connected with you back then. But I would be up at 3 a.m. in the morning while y'all were covering races at about 2 or 3 p.m. in the East Coast. But that's how I connected, was asking those questions like you said. And it doesn't matter where you live. If you've got that passion, if you've got that desire to learn and to put yourself out there and to, like I said, connect with people, I think that is what makes someone successful in this journalism business. And it not, doesn't have to come down to monetary success. It can just be emotional or mental or just personal successes. And I think while I'm still trying to break my way to make this a full-time focus, I can say I've become a happier person because of the things you've talked about, those points. I can tell you that what Lewis is sharing to you guys and girls who are listening in, it is truth. So you should definitely heed his advice um, on things with the world of racing and Gosh, I, we were, this could have been a whole segment as well, um, just because that in itself is, those are just some of the greatest advices I think you can get besides what you can get in the classroom, like at St. Bonaventure, for sure. I do have some other questions I do want to field for you, Lewis, that came from our team. Um, before we wrap up writer's block, um, these two questions come from my assistant editor, Stephen Conley. Um, and he uh, has a couple of questions here, starting off with Kyle Larson. Um, so you said Kyle Larson's success over the last two years um, across different levels of motorsports has had a huge impact on cross um, pollination. I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant to say like the connection between stock car and dirt track racing, it's been prevalent with Kyle Larson. So how important has it is it for Kyle Larson to continue racing both at the highest level of dirt track racing and asphalt racing to grow and make NASCAR and racing series healthy? Well, again, I mean, he's an artist behind the wheel. That's the only way I could put it in a couple of words. And again, going back to Mario Andretti, Gordon Kirby, uh, one, of, one of my rivals, uh, wrote that one year that, that Mario won in 13 different types of race cars. I mean, talent is talent. And I, I believe that the most versatile drivers, the, the cream rises to the top. And that's why the Bushes have been so good because they can drive anything. And I think that car, that Kyle, uh, he gets NASCAR fans to appreciate sprint cars and sprint car people. What, what I get upset is people, you can like what you like, but don't diss you know, another form of racing because it's not what you love the most. No, you can learn. It's just like the big success of Formula One in America now because people started watching Drive to Survive. Uh, all racing, you know, is great. But Kyle brings, like I said, he's an artist. That's probably the best, you know, behind the wheel. To me, that's, you know, beyond athlete. He has this ability to hop in and out of different cars, be competitive at the top level. And that to me, is the highest expression of great driving. So uh, it's good for racing that, that he does so well and he can bring fans from all kinds of racing to the various different uh, uh, forms of racing. That's what I think I respect the most with Kyle being such a versatile driver is that he does connect different worlds and he doesn't have to do it through like a social media campaign or you know advocating for it and just sitting in the grandstands. He can speak to it from a very unique firsthand perspective and he is a bit of a throwback because, you know, back then, like you mentioned, Mario Andretti, not only 
people remember, you know, they think of him as this IndyCar legend, but they don't recall that he won, I think, the 1978 F1 championship, if I'm not mistaken. He won the Daytona 500 before he won the Indy 500. Here you go. So, I mean, this is our equivalent, I think, almost in a sense in the 21st century. And I think we should appreciate and enjoy what he's doing and celebrate what he's doing. It's, it's just incredible what this gentleman's been doing on the track. And uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch as he gets older to see how that skill flourishes over time. Now, Steven's other question was about the new owners who are coming into the Cup Series. Of course, we've got Pitbull and Justin Marks who formed Trackhouse Racing. Um, Brad Keselowski now has a minor ownership stake within Roush Fenway. Um, and we've, you know, there's a lot more different owners I could name, but I won't consume most of this time. Of the new owners coming into NASCAR, or at least the Cup Series, who do you see as being the one that will be here for the longest and have that same kind of success of a Jack Roush or a Rick Hendrick? That's a tough question. I'd like to preface everything by saying the charter system has worked in that Chip Ganassi, who invested all this money into NASCAR can take something out. The charter prices are going nuts. Uh, but of the new teams, you got Denny, you got, you got Brad with Roush, and, and, and you have Trackhouse. I would like to say, I, I would, I, if I had to pick the, one of those three, I'm going to go with Brad. I mean, he turned his truck team into this, into this high-tech manufacturing system. Not only is he a great driver, but you know, he, he thinks outside the box too. And, and I think that, that if they can get the appropriate sponsorship, see, see the, the secret of, of Justin Marks and, and full credit to him for his vision, his driving, but his father used to be the president of Tesla, okay? By buying the, that, buying Chip's team, it, 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 it'd be like me buying a new car, okay? <laughs> So he's got the financial backing and he does have the foresight, but I, I, I would have to back. There's a little inside uh, poker too for you guys out there listening. Uh, again, full credit. I mean, I'm a capitalist, but I mean, the, the, you know, the, he, you have to have a lot of money to do a race team. And, and, and he brought the money, but what he brings it in a good way. I'm in no ways, I have total respect for what he's doing. Uh, um, I, I, but I'd say Brad, if I had to pick amongst the three, I'll go with Brad. It's pretty wise money to put on for somebody that's going to be a new team owner. Um, Brad has definitely contributed so much to NASCAR that I don't think a lot of folks, again, don't appreciate it until after the fact. I mean, a lot of folks now remember the truck team that he had. And look at all the individuals he's brought into NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Tyler Reddick, Austin Sindrick. The name he hired Joey Logano with Penske. That's right. So I mean, this general Keselowski alone has been basically a talent acquisition manager for NASCAR. The best HR rep you can get, I guess. <laughs> well, Dale Jr. has done pretty well too at, at Junior Motorsports, but, yeah, but and, and he brought Brad into it. So that's the six degrees of, of Brad Keselowski. You got to bring Dale Jr. into this thing, so. <laughs> that would be an engrossing conversation on its own just to see the branches out there of all Dale and Brad and all these individuals have brought into NASCAR because it's just, see, that's, folks, that's how you get good stories is you think about outside the box, like Lewis said, you could think of stories that interweave or get so far out there, but yet can be such an intriguing read for folks to list, to read or in podcasts like this to listen to. And, you know, I'd love to continue the segment. We can definitely do so for a future show. This is basically our, our equal to having Mike Skidder on the Dale Jr. Download because your stories, Lewis, have been so amazing. But um, we definitely want to hear more from you in future shows. But uh, I do want to thank you for joining us for Writer's Block. We'll have plenty more of this in the future. And I definitely want to have you back on here um, very soon. And folks... That is another edition of the Podium Finish Live, episode five in the books, which is crazy to believe because, um, you know, it felt like seven years was a long time ago, but at now as we keep doing and producing these shows, Nathan, it feels like we've not been off the air for seven years. I know. I mean, only, only 95 more shows to 100, right? 
<laughs> we'll get there very soon, which by my calculations, if we're continuing the show even during the holiday season, that would mean about the time. <laughs> by the time I get my graduate degree from from St. Bonaventure, it'll be episode 100. So maybe I'll be on campus to do the show and not have to do it remotely. So maybe I'll actually be in the studio. We'll do this live and people will be calling to us instead versus Zoom. So that would be exciting um, to say the least. Like I said earlier, definitely wanted to give a shout out to Tara Almendinger um, as she runs for Mrs. North America. Um, no matter how she does, I'm really proud of her. I know her husband, AJ, as well. Um, other shout outs I want to give to as well, wanted to congratulate my sister, Luna, and my sister-in-law, Laura. Laura got a new job that will be starting in January. So they'll be moving out to San Diego early next year. And I just want to wish them both the best of luck and hope to be invited to a warm, nice, sunny location next year, just saying. So help her little brother out, uh, to say the least, but wanted to uh, wish them well on that. And uh, also- it's always, uh, it's always so cold down there in Texas. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, what, 70 degrees. And I think last Saturday you were saying it was snowing in St. Bonaventure. So um, how about today? <laughs> not, not snowing today, but it's not warm either. So. <laughs> well, eventually, maybe when we get to do these at the racetrack, uh, Nathan, one thing we'll agree on is we hope it doesn't rain. Yes, absolutely. That, that's a good goal for next year to be able to record uh, a couple of these TPF lives uh, at the racetrack with some uh, with some interviews fresh out of the garage. So uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that next year for, for our audience. That would be one of my bucket list goals. And uh, hopefully, too, we'll actually get to hear from you audience members who listen in. So I do want to say, actually, folks, if you do have questions for us and yes, we do interact, even though we record these in advance and air on Mondays please tweet to us. Uh, Nathan saw, saw Twitter is, of course, nsolly02, so definitely tweet to him. I know he checks his Twitter pretty constantly when he is not doing academic and college hoops action. As for me, when I am not working, um, I check my Twitter at Rob Tionson, which is R-O-B-T-I-O-N-G-S-O-N, so definitely tweet to us. We'll take your questions as long as they're, again, civil and kind. Um, I like a spirit debate, too, but um, of course, let's just be respectful of each other's differences or similarities. Regardless, I just love a good talk about racing. So as we head into episode six, we've got a great show coming up. I still have a lot of interviews I want to share on here from our team. Um, so definitely, we hope to have the champions from the trucks, Xfinity and Cup Series join us here on TPF Live. So when that happens, I will, you know, Nathan and I will definitely let you know. And as for me, I know that I have a few cup, uh, junior inter motorsports interviews I'm going to be sharing here in the next couple of shows. So, of course, like I said to Lewis earlier, it uh, or off, off the show, rather, this show will be the pre-Thanksgiving show. So I hope everybody on campus or listening anywhere around the world, I hope everybody has a very safe, wonderful, and, and great Thanksgiving with your family and friends. If you are by yourself, or not with family, by, not by yourself, but alone by yourself, not with family and friends, you know, certainly take some time to, you know, be kind to yourself, hope to know that you get to be with your family and friends at some point. And I hope, you know, you know that you can always grab a phone and call or FaceTime that family member or friend that you haven't seen. So definitely hope everybody's mental health during this time is going to be at a, at a good point. And if not, you know, certainly, Nathan and I can always talk to you and I mean, we're not professionals, so we'll definitely try to be a good friend and advocate for sure. So we're going to get to episode six next week and it's going to be exciting. Again, I don't know who we're in a showcase on here, but that's what I love about the live element is that it's always exciting every week. So there's going to be a lot to get to because when we get to episode six, that's going to be the banquet week. Now, we're not going to talk about fashion. We're not going to talk about who wore the best outfit down the red carpet at Nashville. But there's always some kind of news story that comes out ahead or after Nashville. So we'll probably talk about that. And there's still a lot of car talk to talk about and driver changes. So anything that happens in the world of NASCAR, Nathan and I will get to. So Nathan, thanks again for joining me again. I know it's kind of... Um, 
I don't want to seem like it's a sponsor plug because you are our permanent co-host, but I really do appreciate you joining me every week and making the show as amazing as it is because it's always fun to you know, do these shows with you and um, reconnect with the audiences who we didn't talk to these last seven years. So thanks again for joining me on here. And Louis Frank, again, wanted to thank him for joining us. Again, if you want to follow him, his Twitter handle is Louis Frank or L-E-W-I-S-F-R-A-N-C-K. And he will definitely have a good conversation with you on Twitter for sure. So on behalf of Louis Frank, my co-host Nathan Solomon, my good friend and buddy over in St. Bonaventure. And of course, good luck to the men's and women's teams in this coming week. I hope we kick some butt. Go, go Bonnies. This is Rob Tiongson signing off for the Podium Finish Live here on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz. And as I say with every program, let's go get that checkered flag and this time have some turkey and not get tripped a fan. Good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.